DJ and PK 24-7 on Twitter. Now listen up. At David DJ James and at PK Kinahan. That's just how we roll. You're locked on to DJ and PK on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision loves teachers. If you're a teacher who needs LASIK, Davis Vision wants to give back. Schedule a free consultation appointment and inquire about additional savings to their summer sale price. Call them today at 801-253-3080 or check them out at davisvisionmd.com. We are joined now by Cindy Boren, Washington Post, covering the Olympics. Cindy, good morning. Cindy, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm having flashbacks, though, Cindy. 19 years ago, Salt Lake hosted the Winter Olympics, and NBC had the rights, and I also work at a CBS TV station. So it's, a C, it's an NBC world, right? But we had, we had some access. And I, as a sports guy, I was one of the – there were only two. And there was one news reporter and me, and we got credentialed to cover the games. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I am going to see so much of the Olympics. And then it turned into the scandal games, not only about how did Salt Lake get the games, what happened, but then also within it, what was that French figure skating judge doing? What did they do to those poor Canadian figure skaters? And then Russia threatening not to play in a hockey semifinal and in in a uh, press conference without an interpreter trying to figure out what was going on. I turned into scandal guy. I saw Ooh. I saw like parts parts of two events and that was it. I saw less Olympics than anybody. And I'm just wondering is that what you're in for now in Tokyo? Is this going to be about the games or are we going to have I got a list of negative stories to talk to you about that don't have to do with athletes. I don't really want to do that. I'm going to talk to you about some athletes anyway. But okay. uh holy cow, <laughs> is this just going to be a mess? Um, well, you know, you remember in Rio, Rio turned into the Ryan Lochte games. So yeah, there's always something like that. Um, this one is going to be different though, because of the pandemic, it's already, um, you know, the, the games that were eaten up by the pandemic. So, uh, they'll soldier on as best they can. And there will be, there will be something that will pop up, whether it's an out and out scandal or something, there will be some other, you know, there will be some story that that just dominates the headlines and you kind of hope that it has nothing to do with the coronavirus. You kind of, you definitely hope that it has nothing to do with the pandemic. So I guess the first thing is I, I was shocked watching the final game in the NBA finals, the Bucks and Ooh. the Suns, because across the ticker early in the game comes the fact that there's a chance the Tokyo games could still be canceled. Hey, what? I thought they decided whether it's a good idea or not, whether it's a mediocre idea or a horrible idea. The TV show will go on. The checks have been written, so some more checks need to be written to pay for those checks. So the games are going to happen. Could these actually be canceled at this late date? I don't think so. Um, It would take an event of a magnitude that I don't even want to think about. Uh, for that to happen. And also, you'll, re- you'll recall that the, the person who talked about the possible cancellation still being on the table was the head of the Tokyo Organizing Committee. At this point, 
the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, is in charge. They own the games. It's not the local organizing committee. So the IOC has no interest whatsoever in canceling these games. One, money. And two, you know, they've got the Winter Olympics coming up in February, uh, hard on the heels of, of these summer games. And they, they want the money. They're not about to walk away from this. All right, so the games will be on, and the TV ratings in Salt Lake are this is usually one of the top three TV markets. I think it's always one of the top three markets. Sometimes it's one uh-huh. or two as far as people watching the Olympics here. Uh, but are, do you think people are really going to get into this, or are we going to see too many? I mean, we've already seen the men's basketball team. Bradley Beal is out. Other guys are in protocol. They may be in or out. We don't know. Uh, there's a beach volleyball Olympian from here, and his partner's yep. out, and they're looking for a replacement partner. I mean, is the competition going to look legit and excellent, or is it going to look thrown together and bizarre? I think it will look good. I think there will be some some great athletic moments. Um, you have Simone Biles, of course. Uh, you have Katie Ledecky. You have Noah Lyles, the great sprinter. Um, the basketball team will be interesting to watch. Not sure how they'll do, but they'll be interesting, of course. And there's not a great deal else going on uh, at this point in the summer, although NFL training camps are going to open up, and the NFL typically eats um, everything else for lunch. So it it will be kind of intriguing to see how it works. But um, it's on an American timetable. It's a good time-wise for American audiences, um, I'm not sure with cord cutting going on how people will, how, you know, will they go to streaming? Will they look for it elsewhere? Will, you know, they all go to Peacock? I don't know. But it's going to dominate, of course, NBC um, broadcasting uh, over the air and over cable for the next two weeks. And I think it will be, you know, it will, again, what else? <laughs> I hate to put it in these terms, but what else is there if you're into sports? And there will be something. There will be something intriguing that will pull people in. Sydney Bourne, Washington Post, joining us. Well, you kind of referenced it there uh, with Olympic basketball. Um, the women have been dominating. The men have been dominating. I mean, they've won three golds in a row. Uh, yep. But are either or both of them going to get beat? And what is the men's basketball team going to look like? Well, you've got a couple of uh, players that are now headed over there from the NBA Finals, and I, I think they've cleared uh, cleared their first hurdles on the coronavirus testing, or will, I guess, um, and over the next few days. I, I, I don't really see an upset there, and I also think that, you know, the women's soccer team lost to Sweden in a kind of a, a stunner, but after, what, 44 straight wins yeah. or something like that? Um, I, I don't really see them uh, stumbling and being out of this anytime soon. I think they'll be right there at the end because it's round robin. Uh, they'll probably play Sweden again at some point, and that'll be, that will be hugely, um, a hugely attractive game. So I'm old enough to remember when this wasn't just about uh, the up-close and personal profiles, and it wasn't oh. just about the inspirational stories. It was yeah. about the United States had better have more medals and more gold medals than the Soviet Union because it was a test of systems and all that. Has it gotten to yep. the point with China that that's how people are going to feel, or is it going to take a while to build to that? 
Maybe. Uh, the Summer Olympics are, are sort of tailor-made for American athletes. And uh, I, I would be surprised if, if the U.S. isn't dominant. And I think that, that some of these events are, are probably more suited for American athletes than Chinese. Um, I, I can't really believe that, that it won't kind of go the American's way when it comes down to the medal count at the end. And there will be, you know, there will be some, I'm not sure which, but there will be some um, sort of international uh, back and forth, whether it's the U.S. and China or someone, you know, there will be someone that, that the U.S. fans can, can get behind and, you know, rah, rah, because, again, that's what it's all about anymore. It's, you mentioned the, the stories, the heart-tugging stories. Not every story has to be heart-tugging. They're just great. They're just great athletes, but because it's so commercialized and packaged for NBC, uh, it, that's what it's come down to, and it, it's really kind of unfortunate the way it, the way it's been turned into a primetime program. Simone Biles is obviously already a star. Is there someone who's going to be a breakout star and take over the games. Michael Phelps, once upon a time, was a breakout star before he was an established star. Is there somebody everybody's going to be talking about who isn't quite on the radar yet? Uh, I think he's on the radar, but I, I, Noah Lyles, I think the sprinter. I think uh, once the track and field starts, I'd, I'd keep an eye on track and field. That's I think that's where a star will emerge. It's unfortunate that, that Shikari Richardson isn't there. Uh, there are other stories that don't have anything to do with the games that are uh, there's a story right here. Iris gymnast tests Olympics anti-sex beds, cardboard oh. beds in the Olympic Village. I'm, That's a uh, level of weirdness I don't think any of us expected a week ago, and yet here's the story. Well, I'm going to have to defend the Japanese just a little bit here because their their plan was to make these games as sustainable as, as, as possible. Uh, I think we're all used to seeing the Olympics walk away from a community and then just after the games and then just seeing it all fall apart. And their, their goal is to recycle. They, the medals, for instance, uh, are all made of recyclable materials. For the last couple of years, they've been asking Japanese citizens when they swap their cell phones to turn in their cell phones. And they've been using uh, the, the electronic uh, materials in the, in the, in the medals. So they wanted this, this is part of their their message with these games, and I think the cardboard beds are pretty sturdy. Um, I'm not sure if they'd hold up to say wrestlers very well, but anyway, uh, I, I <laughs> where there's a will, there's a way. That's all I'll say about Olympians and their notorious um, engagements with one another in the Olympic Village. But uh, at, at the cardboard cardboard is pretty. It's pretty sturdy, as anyone who's tried to break down a box and recycle it can tell you. They'll last for two weeks anyway. Allegedly, the beds can hold 441 pounds. I'm sure that will be tested, and we will hear back about that, no doubt. Uh, Oh, boy. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) The director of the opening ceremonies suddenly fired for Holocaust joke. Now, Uh, there's a headline. What happened? From 1998, when uh, during a stand-up routine, it was an ugly, ugly line, um, and 20, what, 28, 25 years later, um, 23 years later, it came back to bite. 
and uh, you know there's just zero tolerance um for that so as you watch this go forward i saw they just gave the games to uh brisbane but brisbane was the only yeah. one bidding are the yeah. games getting so complicated a uh, pandemic is now another element of risk for cities to consider uh are the olympics sustainable in the long run or have they gotten so big and so unwieldy that few if any cities are going to want them I think that's a great question, and I, I think that the Olympics is really at sort of a turning point here. Why would, would cities, other than, say, for instance, Los Angeles, which is coming up at the end of the decade, uh, why would a city that doesn't have multiple venues and multiple options, say, for instance, uh, you know, even teaming with Canada, more like a North American Olympics, um, you'll recall World Cup has done that in the past, Um I think that's the way to go. I just don't think, I just don't think people have the appetite for it, uh, for spending that kind of money. The expenditures are vast. There really isn't a, a place for the village afterward. I, I think that will be one way they'll really look into it if they can convert the village, uh, the and the venues into to, to usable, um, usable things. But I, I think this is where we are. I think people are going to want to see sustainability. I think they're going to want to see um, possible future use for these things. Um, it, it's it's just wasteful. And I, I do believe people are um, come, catching on to that. I, I, you'll notice I think the um, um, Milan and, and um, is sharing the Olympics, uh, the Winter Olympics coming up after after Beijing with another community. So. Uh, I think that's the way it's going to have to go. So back to Beijing, back to London, back to Los Angeles. Put it on a rotation. I don't know why. Maybe I've heard this before, and I, and I know it's it will never work because the, the Olympic Committee loves to get people paying it to for its decision. You know, <laughs> much like uh, the the World Cup uh, FIFA. But why not? Why not have an, a, a, a vil, you know a place in Greece or someplace um, where where the Olympics is held every four years, uh, every two years now? Why not have two two designated sites? But that's never going to happen. Yeah. Well, Cindy, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us and uh, give us an update with the uh, opening ceremonies on the horizon. Okay, and I'll keep an eye on the bed bed situation too. That is going to remain a story. Everybody wants some comedy. That is, <laughs> it is. definitely it, going to remain a story. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. City born Washington Post on the Olympics. DJ and PK David Locke is talking NBA draft, NBA champions in Milwaukee. How much do the Bucks set the tone in the era of the super teams? Do they change the makes air quotes narrative? We'll get to that with David Locke next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. The commissioner of the Mountain West Conference, Craig Thompson. And when I talk to the football players, I'm going to say, guys, I understand it. You're American. It's your God-given right. You choose. Vaccinate. Don't vaccinate. But if you do not vaccinate, there is a cause and effect. There will be consequences. You will test. You will contact trace. You know, the coaches were even talking to the point that uh, I've got this player who's not vaccinated. Maybe I'll run him with threes and a fours because I don't know if he'll be good to go Saturday. And I got a guy who's a half step slower and two inches shorter, but 
he's vaccinated, and I know he'll be able to play, so son, jump up there and run with the ones and twos because you're on the plane. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Barry Trammell is going to join us coming up in 30 minutes. What would be the repercussions if Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC? So I guess the first question for Barry is, what are the odds this is going to happen? The fact the story leaked to the Chronicle, it's unnamed sources. Eh. Then when Texas, Oklahoma, and SEC, none of them say no. No denials. Seems to up the odds of it happening. When Oklahoma State issues a statement, Oklahoma State, who's not involved, but doesn't want to be left behind, issues a statement saying, we don't want to be left behind. I think there's a lot more to it. You know, politics in Oklahoma, how do the governor and state legislature get involved? It's weird. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, they, they've got different regions, so they answer to different people. So, yeah, they're joined at the hip, but maybe they're not completely tied together. They could be separated. A lot of questions to get into with Barry Trammell. What does it mean for the Big 12? At that point, do other teams, do other conferences feed on what's left of the Big 12? Or does the Big 12 go out and uh, try to pull teams away from other leagues? How does this uh, start another round of realignment? Do the Big 10 and ACC go to 16? A ton of questions for Barry Trammell coming up at 9 o'clock. Right now, it's time to talk jazz basketball with David Locke, radio play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz. David, good morning. We're not talking jazz basketball. We've got to talk Oklahoma, Texas here for a second. <laughs> you're killing me. So if you're USC, you have to react immediately, right? No, you're USC. You can do whatever the bleep you want. <laughs> no, don't you have to call Oklahoma and Texas and say, let's build our own conference on the West Coast? Well, that's the problem. Oklahoma and Texas really aren't on the West Coast. I get why you could build a football league out of those schools and it would work. Building a conference out of those schools seems awfully far flung. And you've tried it a couple times, and for whatever reason, Oklahoma and Texas said no. So, yes, I guess if you're USC, you can call again. But I expect the answer will be no again because the SEC is guaranteed money. And this is not about winning conference championships. It's about money. What happens if you tell the Longhorns they get to keep their Longhorn network and then and the Pac-12? Well, I haven't had the access or to the, the books to whatever. do a deep dive into this, but I'm thinking the SEC might be more valuable than the Longhorn network. That would be pretty revealing. SEC is worth a lot of money. It's about to be worth a lot more whether they expand or not. And I think the thinking is that if they add two more, it is going to be a gargantuan payday. And do they leave the NCAA? They probably don't need to because the NCAA uh, just came out and said, uh, you know, it's time really for self-government, which just sounds the NCAA saying, forget it. We know what we've done historically. We're here to put on championships, people. That's pretty much what we do. Carry on. Let the conferences handle it. Interesting. Interesting. How are you, David? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> All right. NBA questions for you. Question By the way, one. Did you really call me at 2:20 last night? But that was uh, that was a mistake. 
I okay. uh, RSL played last night, and PK's on vacation today, so I had to get ready for the radio show after I got home from the soccer game. And I was trying to get your number out of my phone, and I accidentally hit the wrong button and dialed it. I immediately hung up, and it was literally like a few tenths of a second. So I don't think I woke you up. But, yes, it did register a missed call. But, no, I wasn't trying uh, to get a hold of I it. I just was wondering. Two fat, I was like, don't you think I sleep a little? Yeah, you do. It was just a fat thumb, and it was a bad moment. All right. All, All right. right. We'll ignore your fat thumbs. What okay, do we got? Thank you. Before we get specifically to the Jazz, David, NBA big picture. I think the last decade has been different than the previous 30 years. And I know with free agency, team building from 1980 to 2010, it changed somewhat. And the CBA shortened contracts. So it's not exactly the same, but it's largely the same. But you get to 2010, and LeBron at the Olympics in 08 meets with players in Bosch and Wade, and they put together a super team in Miami. In four years, they go to the finals four times, they win two titles. Kevin Durant, hey. Can't beat him, join him. He goes to the Warriors. They go to the finals three times in a row with Durant and win twice. They went five times overall and won three times. So the super teams are becoming the way to build a team. And Durant and Irving try to go build one with the Nets. And the Clippers, right, It's uh, they put their team together. But the Bucks, old school, the draft, fine and value guys, a trade here or there, they win a championship. Are they a blip and an outlier, or is there real hope hope for flyover, mid to small market, cold weather teams? Well, I think Phoenix should be a part of this conversation. I mean, they're really the anomaly here, right? That's a sense so that they went from non-playoffs to finals. All right, I've got two answers for you. Nothing in a conversation between you and I is ever short-winded. So this is going to be long-winded, okay? Hit it. So let me give you the first take on the box, and I think this is really relevant to the Jazz. When you look at ESPN or basketball reference, 538, and you look at a team during the season, and it gives you their percent to win a championship, right? Mm-hmm. What is it usually about? 22, 25, yeah. 30%, right? Yeah. So I really look at the box as a team that could have won it two years ago, could have won it last year, and won it this year. Like, you, there's no, like – hundred percent chance that you're going to win a title when you're a great team. There's like a 20% chance. And so they went on their run and they had a 20% chance to win the title. And the first year they ran into a Toronto team that matched up beautifully with them and they fell apart. The second year they got derailed by various things. And this year they didn't see Philadelphia, who to me was the team that could beat them. They had a perfect matchup and they didn't have to see him. So I think there's a little bit like from a jazz standpoint, like we had about a 20, 20- two percent chance to win the title this year with the best record in the league and so i think you might argue that you run it back pretty similarly for another 22 percent chance because somewhere along the way if you take enough shots with 22 percent chance the pop a shot ball goes in you even might make a shot at that little amusement park thing where the hoop is actually smaller than it looks it you know when you actually chance and the hoop for a championship is smaller than it looks so that's the first thing the second thing are we good there can yep. i move on Go ahead. Right. So, so the second thing is I see the league in a, in a massive transformation that got stalled by the, con- the NBA TV contract blip that took place. And so what I mean by that is the NBA signed a collective bargaining agreement with tougher t- luxury tax rules, with, where if you're in the luxury tax, you actually can't sign certain types of players, really restrictive to building massive super teams. You can still get two or three stars, but you're not going to be able to build anything around it. What we have right now 
is for the first time since 1980, we have four champions in four years. Since 1980, since Magic, the last team to w- be the fourth team to win in four years that were different was Magic's Lakers in 1980. That's a long, I know that you think you're 32, DJ, but that's a long time ago, <laughs> 1980. So I think we're seeing a, and if you really think about it, had it not been for the TV blip where Durant goes and signs with the Warriors, if he had stayed in Oklahoma City, I could make a pretty good argument. We might have had six or seven champions in seven years right now. And I think that's a massive change in what the is going on in the NBA. This year you have nine or ten teams that are literally sitting here today thinking to themselves, gosh, we could have won this, right? Philadelphia thinks that. Brooklyn thinks that. Milwaukee won it. Phoenix thinks it. The Lakers think it. The Clippers think it. The Nuggets think it. The Jazz think it. The Mavericks are probably close to thinking it. The Warriors are going to think it next year. So I think there's the collective bargaining agreement that took place many years back before the new TV contract that if you took that that little TV contract blip that happened that allowed Durant to sign and you go back, we would have a completely different league for the last seven years. Last one. Are we good there? Yep. Okay. Last one is that the way the game is being played right now with the level of talent, like Devin Booker's like the 15th best player in the league, and he's capable of carrying you to a title. We just, he just basically proved it, right? Donovan Mitchell is what, the 20, 20th best player in the league, maybe 13th, depending on your point of view. He's pretty outstanding. He can carry you to a playoff series win. So there are so many. What, what's Chris Middleton? Like, is he the 12th, 15th, 25th? Like, there's so much talent in this league right now that it allows you to have players that can literally carry you to win games and win playoff series. Heck, Brooke Lopez dropped 33 in a playoff game. I'm done now. I'm um, out. I, I, I like a lot of that, but what I really like is that the blip in the TV contract that sent Durant to the Warriors yep. masks a dramatic change in the sport. You might really be onto something there. And I think that's a change that jazz fans can wrap their arms around. Right. You know, if the title passes around to your point, you have a 15 or a 20% chance of winning. So you keep your group together for three to five years and maybe you hit, but it's not as frustrating as watching the Lakers win all the time. So I think jazz fans could embrace this on multiple levels. Um, and the fact that the TV ratings, I can't really tell how good they were. I think there's a little bit of fudging with numbers here because last year's TV ratings were terrible. So twenty, you know, up from last year, really. Yeah, they're still way is, down. Right, from, they're way down right. from two years ago. Right. Um, so highest share since 2012. Like that's an interesting number, but it's masking the fact that people aren't watching TV; they're watching on different platforms. Oh my gosh, that's the that's the reason the ratings are going down. There's never been more video available, and it's easy to point at Amazon and Hulu and Netflix. But my gosh, there are people out there, younger people, but there are people out there consuming an enormous amount of video on TikTok. I mean, it, it keeps fragmenting. Right. I mean, if you watch, if you look at the numbers on YouTube of game, have you seen the numbers on like a jazz, like no. Mavericks game recap on YouTube? It's like three million, like the short and condensed version of the game. Mm-hmm. It's crazy numbers. So as everyone watches, maybe I should, maybe I should do something about that. <laughs> what do you have in mind? <laughs> Maybe something. Okay, tell us tell us later then. <laughs> okay, thank you. 
What's going to happen in the NBA draft? Are the Jazz going to trade up, trade back, trade out? Should we get worked up about this? Will there be a, a, a player there late who is, uh, even though we don't know who he is now, is going to excite us when we're seeing him play in the NBA three years from now? Um, I've watched a few players. I'm actually beginning to think that this draft is pretty deep. Uh, one of our draft experts on the Lockdown NBA draft had said to me um, on our mock draft that he had more than 30 first-round grades. And so that was interesting. I hadn't heard that before. Um, and then I watched uh, Kid Preston out of Ohio the other day. And I kind of liked him a little bit. Like, it's interesting. He's not an elite athlete, but he moves well. He plays a pro game. Like, if you're taking that at 30, that's a worthwhile. Like, I think he could probably play 15 minutes a night. Um, so, and I watched, uh, I think, Moody the other day. I thought he was all right. Kid out of West Virginia. I thought it was pretty good. So, like, I'm watching some guys, and I'm like, okay, I think these guys can probably play a little. Um, the, the next note on that I would have, though, from a jazz standpoint is I might rather use the money for my 30th pick of the draft on a Frank Kaminsky, right, who gave the Suns 12 really good minutes in game seven or game six of the NBA Finals. Like, I don't think there's anyone I'm going to be able to draft here who's going to be able to play in the second, third round, you know, second round conference finals or finals in the NBA playoffs next year. And so if I can use that money for kind of an established veteran who's now on the minimum or close to the minimum instead, and I just go acquire a few second-round draft picks for whatever pick I might need, like maybe I'm trading that second-round draft pick for the equivalent of P.J. Tucker, you know, when it's time to add that piece during the trade deadline, I think that's the move that makes a lot more sense in drafting a player. Well, let me rephrase that. Makes more sense, but this is like a 55-45. And if you have a player you really like, who you think, you know, can contribute. But it's like, if you think about Desmond Bain last year, who was a really nice player and a great pick by Memphis, I just don't think he was playing in the second round. Memphis had somehow got to the second round of playoffs, but I don't think he was playing anymore. Like, it just gets incrementally more difficult, and those players don't usually play. The Jazz have been a young team for so long, and I think people realize they've gotten older, but the truth is they have gotten older definitively, and they are in their championship window now, maybe they never get further in the second round. Maybe they win the next two championships, whatever. We can argue about that. But Donovan Mitchell is signed for five years. Donovan has four years and then an option. And there are plenty of Jazz fans stressing about Donovan's future. I get that. Rudy is 29. In four years, he will be 33. The key to Rudy is, at his size, he moves unbelievably well so i'm thinking for four years the jazz need to be all in on doing whatever they can do to win a championship because between donovan's contract status and rudy's age four years is what they've got after that i got question marks everywhere and they can't really be answered people can obsess obsess about them so can you elaborate a little bit on what because you seem to be going down that road when you just said hey, get a veteran, don't get a, a young guy and build for the future. Yes. <laughs> That's it, huh? I nailed it? You're right. Yeah, I think it's three years, not four, but yes. Okay. That, that puts Rudy at 32, and if Donovan, well, here, says, here's why if Donovan goes full it, uh, James Harden, then yeah, three right. years, not four. It's three years because the next stage – if you don't, if you, if it's not working and it doesn't work and you're, it's not going to work is you have to move both of them at the three year mark so that you can acquire a million draft picks for your next stage as a franchise. 
that's the trajectory we're on. The trajectory is a three-year run, and then if you're close and it's all good, then you re-sign Don and you re-sign Rudy and you add, keep adding pieces and hopefully, like, hey, it took Giannis and Chris Middleton eight years, right? Right. Um, and so, but if let's say you know it's not working out, the games change, whatever's happened, da, 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 then on year three you have you have to you. This is just in general. This isn't the Jazz specifically, but franchises. This is what you do, right? Mm-hmm. You evaluate, and then when you realize, I mean, it's why the Blazers have walked this thing too long, right? The Blazers should not have held this roster together the way they did for as long as they did without making some sort of move in some capacity. And now they're stuck because they're in the middle of this. Like, are we still running it back with Dame or are we actually moving Dame, which then means we're moving CJ, which means we're moving Nurkic. And probably the real question for them is what they get for Nurkic and what they get for CJ, not what they get for Dame. Right? Like if they're only getting Dame's draft picks, then it's hard to rebuild your franchise off that. If they can get a lot from those two guys also, then maybe they can then it's time for them to just unload it. So who can the Jazz get to fill in the gaps that they had when they lost four straight games to the Clippers and got bounced from the playoffs? Um, I think you're so I mean I mean I so obviously I think you re- you you try to really resign Mike and then you just have to evaluate a little bit on where you think Joe Boyan Royce and Jordan are in the mix because those are just the pieces and what their value proposition is. Um, and they're, you know, when Duncan Robinson's being talked about at 23 million and Joe's sitting at 11, that value proposition's pretty good. When Royce O'Neal sitting at eight, like that value proposition's pretty good. So you, you know, you may decide that all the value propositions are good on those players. Um, and then it's very hard to change your team. So then you're trying to maybe play, like, I think the, the shift you might make is if you look at what kind of Milwaukee and Phoenix did at the end of their bench, and like Milwaukee did it with Torrey Craig at the beginning of the year. That didn't, you have to be really careful because Torrey Craig was really unhappy in Milwaukee because he wasn't playing. That's why he ended up in Phoenix. Um, is you take the end of your bench and instead of having what we've had the last few years, which is me and Oni, Elijah Hughes, Juwan Morgan, and guys that you're hoping are going to develop and you're trying to hit on like 20% of them so that you can get a rotation player out of it for cheap, is you decide, I'm going to take Frank Kaminsky, Etwan Moore, Langston Galloway. I mean, names, Bryn Forbes, like got names that aren't really interesting, but in case of break, in case of emergency, they can really play, and that also probably lets you lessen the burden on Joe, a 30-year-old Joe Ingles, a 30-year-old boy on a 30-year-old Mike Conley during the regular season. So, you know, who's sliding to the veteran minimum? What young player do you think actually might be able to play a little bit that comes in and is, you know, like is Frank Milikina got enough veteran experience that even though he really struggles with a shot, if you had to play him for 15 minutes a night or 20 minutes a night for a period of time while Mike's out, because in Donovan's playing point guard, you'd actually be okay. Um, what veteran longtime 33, 34 year old player is now a minimum salary player that's willing, you know, to play us to play some role. And, you know, I have to watch the market to see what happens on that. Um, this is not one I would do because we have Jordan Clarkson, but like Lou Williams will probably be a veteran minimum this year. What other veteran players um, along the way into becoming veteran minimums? Anybody in the NBA really set up to be excellent, especially in the West, but set up to be excellent next year and dominate or it's wide open there are eight horses at the top of the stretch of the Kentucky Derby, and there are eight teams in the West, eight abreast, and good luck in a race to the finish. 
There are three teams that are set up to be that, and two of them have, and all three have massive injury problems. So Denver's set up that way, and Jamal Murray's likely out for the year. Clippers are set up that way, and maybe Kawhi Leonard's out for the year. And I think that the Warriors are set up that way. But what is Clay Thompson coming off an ACL and Achilles? So the answer to your question is that no one's set up that way. And the Lakers are just not. Like, we have to admit, like, LeBron is, like, he's awesome. But, like, the games played issue is real. So is LeBron. And they also have a, and the Lakers have a really tough roster building offseason. Now, maybe they're going to pull it off somehow in some way. And they have a whole agency that's supporting them. So that helps them a great deal. But, like, do they really want to re-sign Dennis Schroeder for $18 million? And if he goes somewhere else, how are they replacing it? And what are they – like, their roster is not, like, very complete, which is why, because they've been in the tax and they've been in these various things, and you can't – it's exactly where we started the conversation. Yeah. There was a moment in the NBA Finals in the celebration after Game 6 that really caught my eye. Giannis is at the microphone. The team is off to his right, and and uh, ABC ESPN reporter asks him something about the championship or whatever, and he turns to Chris Middleton. And he says, "Chris, we did it." His voice, the just the satisfaction, and they cut to Middleton and the smile that he had on his face, looking back that moment, so warm, so real, so fulfilling. Whatever word you want to throw in there, it was all of those things. They were feeling what every Jazz fan wants to feel about the Jazz in a championship moment that every Jazz fan hopes is out there, and sooner not later. And I'm just wondering how much that resonates with players, that they spent the eight years together, they took the beatings, the horrific defeats, and they got to the top of the mountain. Does the rest of the NBA absorb that? Old-timers, certainly the TNT crew, Barkley and Kenny the Jet Smith and those guys have been saying – don't you can't pick up and go. You got to stick and you got to fight. How does the, how do the other twenty nine teams and the stars in the league hear that moment, or did they already turn it off and they went off to form another super team and they were texting their buddies about where they want to join up in two years? Well, I think what is going to matter here is if this happens again, right? So, is it I mean, a one off or a trend? Yeah, like is there just going to you know is, do the Clippers win the next title and then it's not that they did it, but it's you know I don't know if that's a good example, but. You know, or if Denver won the next title with Jamal Murray and Jokic, then you have, then you suddenly have, you know, you have suddenly this the same phenomena happening another time. So it's just a question of whether the super, you know, building a super team no longer becomes the answer. Like these players for a long time believed that the only way you win a title is you win a build a super team. And let's make sure that we're clear: James Worthy, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Byron Scott, super team. Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, Dennis Johnson, Bill Walton, super team. Julius Irving, Moses Malone, like Bobby Jones, Doug Collins, super team, right? Like those teams all had three, four Hall of Famers. This is not a new concept to this generation. It just happened to be the, you know, so this isn't new, right? Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, Tim Duncan, David Robinson, four Hall of Famers. There is your quest. Get four Hall of Famers together at the same time. Right. You win. <laughs> we got we got two. If they had two more, they'd be really good. Yeah, we'd be great. <laughs> right? So we're gonna sign we're gonna sign Paul George and Damian Lillard in the offseason. Yeah. All right, let's go. All right, David. As always See you, my friend. We appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. See you about that.
David Locke, radio play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz. Barry Trammell writes in Oklahoma City, covered the Sooners and the Cowboys and the Big 12 for so long, he covered them when they were the Big 8. Okay, I'm going to have to double-check with him on that. Pretty sure he did, though. Barry Trammell is coming up in about 15 minutes. Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC. There's smoke. Is there fire? There are no denials. It's just that we're not commenting on rumors and speculation. Because we don't have our ducks in a row yet, but stand by. How did the Houston Chronicle get that? And Oklahoma State quit issuing statements. All of that coming up with Barry Trammell in 15 minutes. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Chris Mannix, if you're the Jazz, do you just tweak this thing or do you look for some sort of major deal to make? I think tweaking is enough. You know, I don't consider re-signing Mike Conley tweaking. That's fundamental. He has to come back or else this thing is going to take a massive step back. But there's really not a lot of glaring weaknesses to this Jazz team. Mitchell can take over games. The Clippers are a bad matchup for Gobert. That's something they have to fix if they do want to face the Clippers down the line. But Rudy Gobert is still a dominant center. He just needed to nibble around the fringes a little bit, find more depth at key positions, and roll with it. This season was disappointing the way it ended for Utah, but it doesn't say this team is fundamentally flawed. It says they just need to make some minor moves and make sure you bring back my combo. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. What would be the repercussions if Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC? We got a lot of you weighing in on this. Josh, Oklahoma losing more bowl games. Boom! There it is, Josh. Nice shot. Good work. Zach saying, just have an SEC championship and then one for everyone else. Ah, the SEC breaks away from the rest of college football. Hope says it's never going to happen. Hope, there are eight schools in the Big 12 right now hoping you are right. And it may not happen. It might break up over money. But I got to say, it sounds like it is serious. It does not sound like they are fooling around. Did the Houston Chronicle get everything right? Probably not. There are a gazillion details. Whatever... They, you know, did they report everything they know, everything they could have, everything. But the gist of what they reported, the biggest nugget in there, I think it's spot on. Have Oklahoma, Texas, and the SEC talked? Yeah, betcha. Absolutely. Without question. Yes. Now, you want to go nitpick and dismiss the Houston Chronicles reporting and SEC, we don't comment on rumors. And Oklahoma and Texas, similar statements. Hey, using Chronicle, they got it right. You just commented on rumors, by the way. Exactly. When you didn't comment on rumors, you commented on rumors. (laughs) If the answer had been no or absolutely not or I will take that bet, that ain't happening, then we could look at the Houston Chronicle and say, "Uh, what are you guys reporting over there? Well, who are your sources? What are you doing? But the responses that came out made me think, you know what the Houston Report- Christian Chronicle was doing? They were doing good reporting. That's what they were doing. It would be stupid not to look into it, by the way. Why wouldn't you? 
look into the – I mean – Okay, I think everybody looks into everything. Tom right. Homo told us a long time ago, we don't have to go pitch ourselves. They all know everything about us. The Pac-12 knows. The Big Ten knows. The Big 12 knows. Everybody does their homework, even if there's only a .001% chance it's going to happen. When the Big 12 was looking, they had profiles on Memphis and on Cincinnati and on Houston and on BYU. They knew. So I'm sure the SEC has them Oklahoma and Texas. I'll bet they have them on Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. Not going to happen. But that doesn't mean they haven't profiled them. There's too much money at stake not to do a ton of homework and be very detail-oriented. And the SEC, you can hate them, but i got to say, SEC management, you can't say that's a poorly run league. And the stuff that you don't like about them, they mess up on purpose. They cheat too much, and they do it for a reason. It's part of the plan. It may not be a part of the plan you like. I get that. It may not be a part of the plan you think is right, but they do it for a specific reason. I think they're largely pretty well run, especially at the top. Their expansion choices have worked. They've been ahead of the game going to 12 teams, ahead of the game going to 14. They've generated a ton of cash. They've done a lot of things right. Doesn't make them likable. I get that. But that's not what we're talking about. All right, what we're talking about is, are they going to be the first league to go to 16? Are Oakland and Texas going to take two massive brand names? In the case of Texas, a bazillion people and lock them down and print cash for the SEC. We'll talk with Barry. And if so, what does that mean for the Big 12? And obviously, what does that mean for the Pac-12? What does it mean for USC and Independence? What does it mean for Utah and BYU? We'll get to that next with Barry Trammell, newsok.com. Longtime friend of the show joins us next. Stay with us.